Chapter Four of the Ivory Child by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four, Harut and Marut. After Lord Ragnall had seen his guests to the door in the old-fashioned manner, he returned and asked me if I played cards or whether I preferred music. I was assuring him that I hated the sight of a card when Mr. Savage appeared in his silent way and respectively inquired of his lordship whether any gentleman was staying in the house whose Christian name was Here Comes Azani. Lord Ragnall looked at him with a searching eye as though he suspected him of being drunk, and then asked him what he meant by such a ridiculous question. "'I mean, my lord,' replied Mr. Savage, with a touch of offence in his tone, that two foreign individuals in white clothes have arrived at the castle, stating that they wish to speak at once with Mr. Hirkamazani, who is staying here. I told them to go away, as the butler said he could make nothing of their talk, but they only sat down in the snow, and said they would wait for Hirkamazani. Then you had better put them in the old guard-room, lock them up with something to eat, and send the stable-boy for a policeman. Who is a Zani, if ever anybody was? I expect they are after the pheasants. Stop for a bit, I said, for an idea had occurred to me. The message may be meant for me, though I can't conceive who sent it. My native name is Macumazahan, which possibly Mr. Savage has not caught quite correctly. Shall I go see these men? I wouldn't do it in this cold, Quatermain, Lord Ragnall answered. Did they say what they are, Savage? I made out that they were conjurers, my lord. At least when I told them to go away, one of them said, You will go first, gentlemen. Then, my lord, I heard a hissing sound in my coat-tail pocket, and putting my hand into it, I found a large snake which dropped on the ground and vanished. It quite paralysed me, my lord, and while I stood there wondering whether I was bitten, a mouse jumped out of the kitchen-maid's hair. She had been laughing at their dress, my lord, but now she's screaming in hysterics. The solemn aspect of Mr. Savage, as he narrated these unholy marvels, was such that, like the kitchen-maid, we both burst into ill-timed merriment. Attracted by our laughter, Miss Holmes, Miss Manners, with whom she was talking, and some of the other guests, approached and asked what was the matter. Savage here declares that there are two conjurers in the kitchen premises, who have been producing snakes out of his pocket, and mice from the hair of one of the maids, and who wants to see Mr. Quatermain, Lord Ragnall answered. Conjurers! Who do have them in, George? exclaimed Miss Holmes, while Miss Manners and the others, who were getting a little tired of promiscuous conversation, echoed her request. By all means, he answered, though we have enough mice here without their bringing any more. Savage, go and tell your two friends that Mr. Hirkamazani is waiting for them in the drawing-room, and that the company would like to see some of their tricks. Savage bowed and departed like a hero to execution, for by his pallor I could see that he was in a great fright. When he had gone, we set to work and cleared a space in the middle of the room, in front of which we arranged chairs for the company to sit on. No doubt they are Indian jugglers, said Lord Ragnall, and will want a place to grow their mango tree, as I remember seeing them do in Kashmir. As he spoke, the door opened, and Mr. Savage appeared through it, walking much faster than was his wont. 
I noted also that he gripped the pockets of his swallowtail coat firmly in his hand. "'Mr. Hare Root and Mr. Mare Root,' he announced. "'Hare Root and Mare Root,' repeated Lord Ragnall. "'Harut and Marut, I expect,' I said. "'I think I have read somewhere that they were great magicians, whose names these conjurers have taken. Since then I have discovered that they are mentioned in the Koran as masters of the black art.' A moment later two men followed him through the doorway. The first was a tall, eastern-looking person with a grave countenance, a long white beard, a hooked nose, and flashing hawk-like eyes. The second was shorter and rather stout, also much younger. He had a genial smiling face, small beady black eyes, and was clean-shaven. They were very light in colour. Indeed, I have seen Italians who were much darker, and there was about their whole aspect a certain air of power. Instantly I remembered the story that Miss Holmes had told me at dinner, and looked at her covertly to see that she had turned quite pale and was trembling a little. I do not think that anyone else noticed this, however, as all were staring at the strangers. Moreover, she recovered herself in a moment, and, catching my eye, laid her finger on her lips in token of silence. The men were clothed in thick fur-lined cloaks, which they took off and, folding them neatly, laid upon the floor, standing revealed in robes of a beautiful whiteness, and in large plain turbans, also white. High-class Somali Arabs, I thought to myself, noting the while that as they arranged the robes they were taking in every one of us with their quick eyes. One of them shut the door, leaving Savage on this side of it, as though they meant him to be present. Then they walked towards us, each of them carrying an ornamental basket, made, apparently, of split reeds, that contained, doubtless, their conjuring outfit, and probably the snake which Savage had found in his pocket. To my surprise they came straight to me, and, having set down the baskets, lifted their hands above their heads, as a person about to dive might do, and bowed till the points of their fingers touched the floor. Next they spoke, not in Arabic, as I had expected they would, but in Bantu, which, of course, I understood perfectly well. "'I, Harut, head-priest and doctor of the White Kenda people, greet you, O said the elder man. "'I, Marut, a priest and doctor of the people of the White Kenda, greet you, O watcher by night, whom we have travelled far to find,' said the younger man. Then together— we both greet you, O Lord, who seem small but are great, O chief with a troubled past and with a mighty future, O beloved of Mamina, who has gone down, but still speaks from beneath, Mamima who was and is of our company. At this point it was my turn to shiver and become pale, as any may guess who may have chanced to read the history of Mamina, and the turn of Miss Holmes to watch me with animated interest. O oh, slayer of evil men and beasts, they went on in their rich-voiced, monotonous chant, who, as our magic tells us, are destined to deliver our land from the terrible scourge. We greet you. We bow before you. We acknowledge you as our lord and brother, to whom we vow safety among us and in the desert, to whom we promise a great reward. Again they bowed, once, twice, thrice, then stood silent before me with folded arms. 
"'What on earth are they saying?' asked Scroop. "'I could catch a few words.' He knew a little kitchen Zulu, but not much. I told him briefly while the others listened. "'What does Mamina mean?' asked Miss Holmes, with a horrible acuteness. "'Is it a woman's name?' Hearing her, Harut and Marut bowed, as though doing reverence to that name. I am sorry to say that at this point I grew confused, though really there was no reason why I should, and muttered something about a native girl who had made trouble in her day. Miss Holmes and the other ladies looked at me with amused disbelief, and to my dismay the venerable Harut turned to Miss Holmes, and with his inevitable bow, said in broken English, "'Mamina, very beautiful woman, perhaps more beautiful than you, lady. Mamina love the white lord Mokumazahan. She love him while she live. She love him now she dead. She tell me so again just now. You ask white lord, tell you pretty story of how he kiss her before she kill herself.' Needless to say, all this very misleading information was received by the audience with an attention that I can but call rapt, and in a kind of holy silence which was broken only by a sudden burst of sniggering on the part of Scroop. I favoured him with my fiercest frown. Then I fell upon that venerable villain Harut, and belaboured him in Bantu, while the audience listened as intently as though they understood. I asked him what he meant by coming here to asperse my character. I asked him who the deuce he was. I asked him how he came to know anything about Mamina. And finally I told him that, soon or late, I would be even with him, and paused exhausted. He stood there for all the world like a statue of the patriarch Job, as I imagine him, and when I had done replied without moving a muscle and in English, O oh Lord! Zikali, Zulu wizard, friend of mine, all great wizard friend, just like all elephant and all snake. Zikali make me know Mamina, and she tell me story and send you much love, and say she wait for you always. More sniggers from Scroop, and still intenser interest evinced by Miss Holmes and the others. If you like, I show you Mamina for I go. Murmurs from Miss Holmes and Miss Manners of oh please do but that very little business for what one long ago lady out of so many then suddenly he broke into bantu and added a jest is a jest macumazahan though often there is meaning in a jest and you shall see mamina if you will i come here to ask you to do my people a service for which you shall not lack reward we the white kendah the people of the child are at war with the black kendah, our subjects who outnumber us. The black kendah have an evil spirit for a god, which spirit from the beginning has dwelt in the largest elephant in all the world, a beast that none can kill, but which kills many and bewitches more. While that elephant, which is named Jonah, lives, we people of the child go in terror, for day by day it destroys us. We have learned, how it does not matter, that you alone can kill that elephant. If you will come and kill it, we will show you the place where all the elephants go to die, and you shall take their ivory, many wagon-loads, and grow rich. Soon you are going on a journey that has to do with a flower, 
and you will visit peoples named the Mazitu and the Pongo who live on an island in a lake. Far beyond the Pongo and across the desert dwell my people, the Kenda, in a secret land. When you wish to visit us, as you will do, journey to the north of that lake where the Pongo dwell, and stay there on the edge of the desert shooting till we come. Now mock me if you will, but do not forget, for these things shall befall in their season, though that time be far. If we meet no more for a while, still do not forget. When you have need of gold or of ivory that is gold, then journey to the north of the lake where the Pongo dwell, and call on the names of Harut and Marut. And call on the names of Harut and Marut, repeated the younger man, who hitherto appeared to take no interest in our talk. Next, before I could answer, before I could think the thing out indeed, for all this breath from savage and mystical Africa, blowing on me suddenly here in an Essex drawing-room, seemed to overwhelm me. The ineffable Harut proceeded in his English conjurer's patter. "'Rich ladies and gentlemen, want to see trick by poor old wizard from centre Africa? Well, we show them, but please member no magic, all quite simple trick.' Teach it you if you pay. Please not look too hard. No want you learn how it's done. What you like see? Tree grow out of nothing, eh? Good. Please lend me that plate. What you call him? China. Then the performance began. The tree grew admirably upon the china plate under the cover of an antimacassar. A number of bits of stick danced together on the said plate, apparently without being touched. At a whistle from Marut, a second snake crawled out of the pocket of the horrified Mr. Savage, who stood observing these proceedings at a respectful distance, erected itself upon its tail upon the plate, and took fire till it was consumed to ashes, and so forth. The show was very good, but to tell the truth I did not take much notice of it, for I had seen similar things before, and was engaged in thoughts much excited by what Harut had said to me. At length the pair paused amidst the clapping of the audience, and Marut began to pack up the properties as though all were done. Then Harut observed casually, Lord Mokumazahana think this poor business, and he write. Very poor business, any conjurer do better. All common trick. Here his eye fell upon Mr. Savage, who was wriggling uneasily in the background. What matter with that gentleman? Brother Marut go see. Brother Marut went, and freed Mr. Savage from two more snakes which seemed to have taken possession of various parts of his garments. Also, amidst shouts of laughter, from a large dead rat which he appeared to draw from his well-oiled hair. Ah, said Harut, as his confederate returned with these prizes, leaving Savage collapsed in a chair. Snake love that gentleman much. He earned great money in Africa. Well, he keep rat in hair. Hungry snake always wants rat. But as I say, this poor business. Now, you like to see some better, eh? Mamina, eh? No, I replied firmly, whereat every one laughed. Elephant Jana, we want you kill, eh? Just as he look this minute? Yes, I said, very much indeed. Only how will you show it me? That quite easy, Makumazahan. You just smoke little Kenda Bako and see many things. If you have gift, as I think you got, 
and as I almost sure that lady got, and he pointed to Miss Holmes. Sometimes they things people want see, and sometimes they things people not want see. Dakka, I said contemptuously, alluding to the Indian hemp on which the natives make themselves drunk throughout the great districts of Africa. Oh, no, not Dakka, that common stuff. This bako much better than Dakka, only grow in Kenderland. You think all nonsense? Well, you see. Give me match, please. Then, while we watched, he placed some tobacco, at least it looked like tobacco, in a little wooden bowl that he also produced from his basket. Next he said something to his companion Marut, who drew a flute from his robe made out of a thick reed, and began to play on it a wild and melancholy music, the sound of which seemed to affect my backbone as standing on a great height often does. Presently, too, Harut broke into a low song whereof I could not understand a word that rose and fell with the music of the flute. Now he struck a match, which seemed incongruous in the midst of this semi-magical ceremony, and taking a pinch of the tobacco, lit it, and dropped it among the rest. A pale blue smoke arose from the bowl, and with it a very sweet odour, not unlike that of the tuberoses gardeners grow in hothouses, but more searching. "'Now you breathe smoke, Mokumazahan, he said, "'and tell us what you see. "'Oh, no fear, that not hurt you, just like cigarette. "'Look!' "'And he inhaled some of the vapour "'and blew it out through his nostrils, "'after which his face seemed to change to me, "'though what the change was I could not define. "'I hesitated till Scroop said, "'Come on, Alan, don't shirk this Central African adventure. "'I'll try if you like.' "'No,' said Harut brusquely. "'You no good.' Then curiosity, and perhaps the fear of being laughed at, overcame me. I took the bowl and held it under my nose, while Harut threw over my head the antimacassar which he had used in the mango trick, to keep in the fumes, I suppose. At first these fumes were unpleasant, but just as I was about to drop the bowl they seemed to become agreeable, and to penetrate the innermost recesses of my being. The general effect of them was not unlike that of the laughing-gas which dentists give with this difference, that whereas the gas produces insensibility, these fumes seem to set the mind on fire, to burn away all limitations of time and distance. Things shifted before me. It was as though I were no longer in that room, but travelling with inconceivable rapidity. Suddenly I appeared to stop before a curtain of mist. The mist rolled up in front of me, and I saw a wild and wonderful scene. There lay a lake surrounded by dense African forest. The sky above was still red with the last lights of sunset, and in it floated the full moon. On the eastern side of the lake was a great open space where nothing seemed to grow, and all about this space were the skeletons of hundreds of dead elephants. There they lay, some of them almost covered with grey mosses hanging to their bones, through which their yellow tusks projected as though they had been dead for centuries others with the rotting hides still on them. I knew that I was looking on a cemetery of elephants, the place where these great beasts went to die, as I have since been told the extinct Moas did in New Zealand. All my life as a hunter I had heard rumours of these cemeteries, but never before did I see such a spot, even in a dream. See, there was one dying now a huge gaunt bull that looked as though it were several hundred years old. 
it stood there swaying to and fro then it lifted its trunk i suppose to trumpet though of course i could hear nothing and slowly sank upon its knees and so remained in the last relaxation of death almost in the centre of this cemetery was a little mound of water wat rock that had endured when the rest of the stony plain was denuded in past epochs suddenly upon that rock appeared the shape of the most gigantic elephant that i ever beheld in all my long experience it had one enormous tusk but the other was deformed and broken off short its sides were scarred as though with fighting and its eyes shone red and wickedly held in its trunk was the body of a woman whose hair hung down upon one side and whose feet hung down upon the other clasped in her arms was a child that seemed to be still living the rogue as a brute of this sort is called for evidently such it was dropped the corpse to the ground and stood a while flapping its ears then it felt for and picked up the child with its trunk swung it to and fro and finally tossed it high into the air hurling it far away after this it walked to the elephant that i had just seen die and charged the carcass knocking it over then having lifted its trunk as though to trumpet in triumph it shambled off towards the forest and vanished the curtain of mist fell again and in it dimly i thought i saw well never mind who or what i saw then i awoke well did you see anything asked a chorus of voices i told them what i had seen leaving out the last part i say old fellow said scroop you must have been pretty clever to get all that in for your eyes weren't shut for more than ten seconds then i wonder what you would say if i repeated everything i answered for i still felt dreamy and not quite myself you see elephant jana asked harut he kill woman and child eh well he do that every night well that why people of white kendo want you to kill him and take all that ivory which they no dare touch because it is in holy place and black kendo not let them so he lives still that what we wish no thank you macumazahan you very good look through distance man just what i think kendo baka smoke work very well in you now beautiful lady he added turning to miss holmes you like look too better look who knows what you see miss holmes hesitated a moment studying me with an inquiring eye but i made no sign being in truth very curious to hear her experience yes she said i would prefer luna that you left this business alone remarked lord ragnall uneasily i think it is time that you ladies went to bed here is a match said miss holmes to harut who was engaged in putting more tobacco into the bowl the suspicion of a smile upon his grave and statuesque countenance harut received the match with a low bow and fired the stuff as before then he handed the bowl from which once again the blue smoke curled upwards to miss holmes and gently and gracefully let the antimacassar fall over it and her head which it draped as a wedding veil might do a few seconds later she threw off the antimacassar and cast the bowl in which the fire was now out on to the floor then she stood up with wide eyes looking wondrously lovely and notwithstanding her lack of height majestic i have been in another world she said in a low voice 
as though she spoke to the air. I have travelled a great way. I found myself in a small place made of stone. It was dark in the place. The fire in that bowl lit it up. There was nothing there except a beautiful statue of a naked baby which seemed to be carved in yellow ivory, and a chair made of ebony inlaid with ivory and seated with string. I stood in front of the statue of the ivory child. It seemed to come to life and to smile at me. Round its neck was a string of red stones. I took them from its neck and set them upon mine. Then it pointed to the chair, and I sat down in the chair. That was all. Harut followed her words with an interest I could see was intense, although he attempted to hide it. Then he asked me to translate them, which I did. As their full sense came home to him, although his face remained impassive, I saw his dark eyes shine with a light of triumph. Moreover, I heard him whisper to Marut words that seemed to mean, The sacred child accepts the guardian. The spirit of the white kender finds a voice again. Then, as though involuntarily, but with the utmost reverence, both of them bowed deeply towards Miss Holmes. A babble of conversation broke out. "'What a ridiculous dream!' I heard Lord Ragnall say in a vexed voice. "'An ivory child that seems to come to life and give you a necklace. Whoever heard such nonsense?' "'Whoever heard such nonsense?' repeated Miss Holmes after him, as though in polite acquiescence, but speaking as an automaton might. "'I say,' interrupted Scroop, addressing Miss Manners, "'this is a drawing-room entertainment and a half, isn't it, dear?' "'I don't know.' answered Miss Manners doubtfully. It is rather too queer for my taste. Tricks are all very well, but when it comes to magic and visions, I get frightened. Well, I suppose the show is over, said Lord Ragnall. Quatermain, would you mind asking your conjurer friends what I owe them? Here Harut, who had understood, paused from packing up his properties, and answered, Nothing, O oh great lord, nothing. It is we owe you much. Here we learn what we want know a long time. I mean, if Elephant Jana still kill people of Kenda, Kenda Baka no speak to us, only speak to new spirit. You got great gift, lady, and you too, Makamazahan. You not like smoke more Kenda Bako and look into past, eh? Better look. Very full, past. Learn much there about us. Learn how things begin. Make you understand lot what seem odd to-day. No? Well, one day you look, perhaps. Cause past, pull hard, and call loud. Only no one hear it what it say. Good night, O oh great lord. Good night, O oh beautiful lady. Good night, Makumazahan. Till we meet again when you come kill elephant, Jana. Blessing of the heaven child who give rain, who protect all danger, who give food, who give health, on you all. Then, making many obeisances, they walked backwards to the door where they put on their long cloaks. At a sign from Lord Ragnall, I accompanied them, an office which, fearing more snakes, Mr. Savage was very glad to resign to me. Presently we stood outside the house amidst the moaning trees, and very cold it was there. "'What does all this mean, O men of Africa?' I asked. Answer the question yourself when you stand face to face with the great elephant of Jana that has in it evil spirit, O Makumazahan, replied Harut. 
Nay, listen, we are far from our home, and we sought tidings through those who could give it to us, and we have won those tidings, that is all. We are worshippers of the heavenly child that is eternal youth and all good things, but of late the child has lacked a tongue, yet to-night it spoke again. Seek to know no more, you who in due season will know all things. Seek to know no more, echoed Marut, who already perhaps know too much, lest harm should come to you, Mokomazahan. Where are you going to sleep to-night, I asked. We do not sleep here, answered Harut. We walk to the great city, and thence find our way to Africa, where we shall meet you again. You know that we are no liars, common readers of thought and makers of tricks. Or did not Dogika, the wandering white man, speak to you of the people of whom he had heard who worshipped the child of heaven? Go in, Mukumazahan, ere you take harm in this horrible cold and take with you this as a marriage gift from the child of heaven whom she met to-night to the beautiful lady stamped with the sign of the young moon who is about to marry the great lord she loves then he thrust a little linen-wrapped parcel into my hand and with his companion vanished into the darkness i returned to the drawing-room where the others were still discussing the remarkable performance of the two native conjurers they have gone, I said in answer to Lord Ragnall, to walk to London, as they said, but they have sent a wedding present to Miss Holmes, and I showed the parcel. Open it, Quatermain, he said again. No, George, interrupted Miss Holmes, laughing, for by now she seemed to have quite recovered herself. I like to open my own presents. He shrugged his shoulders, and I handed her the parcel, which was neatly sewn up. Somebody produced scissors, and the stitches were cut. Within the linen was a necklace of beautiful red stones, oval-shaped like amber beads, and the size of a robin's egg. They were roughly polished, and threaded on what I recognized at once to be hair from an elephant's tail. From certain indications I judged these stones, which might have been spinels or carbuncles, or even rubies, to be very ancient. Possibly they had once hung round the neck of some lady in old Egypt, indeed a beautiful little statuette also of red stone which was suspended from the centre of the necklace suggested that this was so for it may well have been a likeness of one of the great gods of the egyptians the infant horus the son of isis that is the necklace i saw which the ivory child gave me in my dream said miss holmes quietly then with much deliberation she clasped it round her throat End of chapter 4